You're listening to Pastor Scott Rising of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Exposed, based on 1 Timothy 5, 20-25, recorded on Sunday, May 27, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Scott as he preaches. Well, hello, everyone. Yeah, welcome. Hey, uh, whether you are here in Catanning, Pennsylvania, uh, whether you're in Freeport, uh, whether you're in Petroleum Valley, Indiana, the jail, or somewhere else within the world online, I want to say welcome. It is a joy to have you join us with Harvest Community Church today. Right? So last week we looked at how healthy churches will give double honor to the elders who lead and feed well. And part of this honor was coming in the way of protecting the elder's reputation, if you remember. That's why, if you remember, Paul said, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Right? So that was last week. But we're flowing in that same text. Today we're going to continue in that text. And we're going to see that this does not mean that we never expose sin within those who are entrusted to lead and feed God's church. Actually, you're going to see in the text today that it's quite the opposite, actually. That for the sake of love, for the sake of love, we must expose the sin. This is loving to everyone involved. It's loving to Christ. It's loving to his church. It's it's loving to the sinning elder. It's loving to the elders that are partnering in the, the mission of Christ with this man. Sin must never be swept under the rug in order to keep it hidden. It always must be exposed. So we're going to continue in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 20 through 25. So if you would take out your Bibles and open them up and uh, follow along with me as I read, and then we will work our way through this text today. Verse 20. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Do nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous. And even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So that's our text for the day. And we're going to work our way through it. So, so look at verse 20. It says, as for those who persist in sin. right? Those who continue to engage in it. That they will not turn from it. Well, the first thing we need to notice is that elders are sinners too. There's no elder that does not need the grace of God. Elders are sinners. We have all heard stories of the beloved pastor who has fallen prey, right? They were laboring and feeding and, 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 and teaching the word of God. And it seemed as though the, the hand of God was on everything that this man did. And then some scandal comes out. Some scandal comes out and collateral damage happens within the church that causes great harm. It's devastating to all, to all who follow him and the surrounding areas. The church takes great damage. And the stories, they're heartbreaking, and yet they're all too familiar. 
So, so the question has to be answered, right? What do we do if an elder is accused of sin? There are two or three witnesses, and it's verified, and it's found to be true, and they're persisting in it. Well, for the health of the church, Paul does not want there to be any ambiguity. Amb- amb- ah, right? What's the word I'm looking for here? Ambiguity. Thank you. Here, so he gives the answer in verse 20. Look at it, right? He says, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. Why? So that the rest may stand in fear. Remember, elders are not above the authority of God. We're not above it. The the word of God is authoritative. God is authoritative. There's no different set of standards for us. As a matter of fact, we are under shepherds and Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. He has all authority. We submit to him. And if anything, elders are held to a much higher standard, right? This is why James, if, if you remember, would say that not many of you should become Teachers, my brothers, for you know that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Simply put, when elders who are entrusted to care for God's church are found sinning, it doesn't just hurt them, right? But, but it hurts the whole body. It hurts the whole body. And, and that's true for everyone, right? There's, if you're sinning, it's hurting the whole body. But the damage is much greater when it's a leader who's been entrusted to shepherd and to care for God's church. Remember the the statement last week, a fish rots from the head down? Well, listen, sin within leadership that is not dealt with becomes sin that the whole body will eventually have to deal with because it will be like gangrene. It will corrupt. It will implode the church. And so with broken hearts, with humility, we must rebuke them in the presence of all. Healthy churches are those who discipline their leaders, their elders, for the sake of love. Because they fear God more than man. That's a tough text. You know, it really is. As, As I was preparing for this, this is not an easy thing to do. Right? There's nothing in ministry more gut-wrenching, more more rip your heart out than investigating a sinner and disciplining a sinner. And I can only imagine how much greater it would be if that sinner is an elder, a pastor, those who have been entrusted to care for the church. See, the the temptation to want to escape that that role of, of disciplining the elder would be real. It would be very tempting, right? Especially if that leader is extremely visible within the church body. Why? Why do you think that would be? I think there are a lot of answers to that question, but none more true than at the core of who we are, we're cowards. We're cowards. That's why. That's why we would not want to rebuke them in the presence of all. We justify it by saying things like, well, we don't want to hurt the church, which is like the stupidest thing you could ever say because to not care for it is hurting the church. There's nothing more harmful than allowing an elder to continue in sin and not addressing it for the sake of the church. To turn a blind eye to anyone's sin is not loving to anyone except your own cowardly self. And that's the weight, right? We must, for the sake of love, with humble and contrite Hearts graciously expose it all for everyone to see. Why? So that the, met, the rest 
may stand in fear. See that right in the text? Let me tell you a fun story, right? This isn't a, a, a fun topic, but let me tell you a fun story uh, that I think will, will help you get the picture of that. So in sixth grade, I had a teacher that I loved. His name was Mr. Webb, right? And one day, surprising, I know, I was misbehaving. And, um, and so he called me up to the front of the class, and, and he was using me as an example. And he was telling me that, you know, and telling the class that don't be like this guy, right? And he's like, because he's about to get a paddling. And I'm like, uh-oh. Uh-oh. He, but then he says, but you know what? I, I'm a fair guy. He goes, how about this? He goes, I'm going to go over to the chalkboard, and I'm going to draw a circle on the chalkboard. I'm going to take a new piece of chalk, and you stick your nose to it, and that to the chalkboard. And as long as you keep that chalk there for the whole remainder of the class, and it doesn't move outside that circle or drop, I'll not, I'll not paddle you. And I thought, well, this is a great deal. Because I think I can do this, right? Because I love challenges. I'm very competitive. So let's do this, right? So I stick my nose there and things are going around and it's going great. But I can feel all my buddies like looking at me and laughing and I can hear them giggle. And like I'm starting to get anxious now, right? My palms are getting sweaty. My nose is getting sweaty. And I start to feel it shift. And then I apply a little bit too much pressure and boom, it falls and and it breaks into a bunch of pieces. And it's like, uh uh-oh, because I know what that means, right? I know what that means. So he says, hey, Scott, come, we're going to go to the other room. And I'm like, oh, I'm terribly anxious now. So we go to the other room, and he grabs his paddle. And I, I know what those are. I got my first one in first grade. at. Uh, yeah, I know. But that's another story for another time. So I know the procedure. And so he says to me, he goes, listen, Scott. He goes, here's the deal. You have two choices right now. I can paddle you, right? That's one choice. I'm like, oh, well, anything's probably better than that. What's the other? What's behind door two? He says, or I can take this paddle and I can place it against the chalkboard. I can pull it back and let it slap, right? And when I do, you better do your best job of acting. And I want to hear a blood-curdling scream from you. And I'm like, I can do that, right? And he goes, but then here's the other thing. You can never tell your friends. And when you walk out of here, I want it to look like, like this paddle met your behind. And I'm like, oh, I can do this. I can do this, right? And so, all right. Wham! He does that, ah! right? And like all the people are in the other room, they're not witnessing this. They hear that, and I leave the class, and I'm like doing the old, you know, one of these. And my buddy comes up, and he's like, that sounded horrible. I was like, oh, it was horrible, right? And, and the whole time, I'm like, I'm giggling, right, inside. And, um, but I'll tell you what, that kept our class in line for at least two days. <laughs> at least two days, that kept us in line. The rest stood in fear for a solid two days. And if you think that's not a big deal, you never met our class. Now, that's, that's a lighthearted story, right? But there's nothing lighthearted about what Paul's talking about here. Rebuke them in the presence of all, right? When the accusation of several witnesses reveal the sin of an elder, he must be rebuked in front of the whole church so that the church will be less likely to engage in a sinful lifestyle. The the church is going to see that there's no such thing as special treatment for leaders or for the rest of the elders. And and the rest of the elders are going to see this, and they're going to fear the same outcome. And that's why Paul says this. You know, this may sound unloving to you as you hear this, but nothing could be further from the truth. This is the cost of love. This is what it means to love. To make sure Timothy understands the seriousness of what's being said, 
Paul goes on in verse 21. Look, he says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Do nothing from partiality. When you feel the weight of that, I guarantee you Timothy felt the weight of that. I feel the weight of that. Do nothing from partiality. Like, why is that there? Why did, why did he put that there? Ultimately, I think it's because we're all tempted towards favoritism. We're all tempted towards caving to the fear of man, right? Like, what the, the thoughts run through the minds, right? What if this leader, he, he is so generous and gives a bunch of cash to the church? That's a, real, that's a real temptation, I guarantee, that happens. What if he's a huge family and he's connected to a bunch of families and if we discipline him and he leaves, what will happen to the church? Well, that, that temptation is real. What, what if they're, they're our most gifted preacher and teacher, right? I mean, we don't want to mess things up here. we got a good thing going on. Wrong. That's just crazy thinking. It's just crazy thinking, right? To wrongly think that the church is built upon a man or men is wrong. It it is built upon one man. His name is Jesus Christ. And he has given us his word to instruct us. Our goal is to seek to obey him. The list goes on and on why we might be tempted, which is why Paul directs Timothy's eyes to the Alpha and the Omega, right? The... The King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, God, the elect angels. Think about this, Timothy. Do you feel that, right? You want to tremble with fear, young man? Well, then you tremble with fear before God. That's the one you should tremble before, not one another. Only the fear of God can crush fear of man. And Paul knows that. The the approval of man is a snare for everyone. It really is. It's taken many captive, which is why Paul turns up the heat here. He says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you, keep these rules. I mean, if that can't get you to man up and strengthen your spine, nothing will and you should not be an elder. The sinning elder must have their sin exposed in the presence of all, not hidden from the church. If not, great damage will be caused to the church, and it will bring shame to the name of Jesus, his bride, and his message. See, this not only loves Jesus, his bride, those who have been sinned against, the sinning elder, it loves everyone. See, the nature of all of this is restorative. Let's not forget that. But when I say restorative, I don't necessarily mean that we would restore the elder back to the position or the office. That, I think, is a one-on-one situation, which I'm not even going to talk about. That takes tons of wisdom, tons of grace. I mean, think about it. The elder or the pastor is to be above reproach. There is grace for the sinning elder. There is grace for that pastor. Forgiveness comes quickly but trust would not. Trust would not. The blood of Christ covers the sin, yes, but as far as reestablishing trust and bringing healing and potentially putting them back in the position of being elder, he may or may not ever become an elder again. But what is far more great is that he is a son of God and that we restore him to to the God who loves his soul, 
right? This process loves his soul more than his comfort and his position. To not do this would be a failure to love. To not do this would be a failure to love. To not discipline this elder would reveal a lack of love for the man, a lack of love for Christ, a lack of love for his word, right? And trusting, we'd be trusting in ourselves, not the word of God, if we didn't do that. At the end of the day, we must tremble before God in his word, not each other. And that's, that's a tough thing. Lord, help us. One way to potentially avoid this heartache, though, is, is being described in, in choosing the right men, right? So we see that. Remember in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it's outlined what these men would look like, which is, which is why in our text for today, in verse 22, it says, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure, Timothy. See, Hopefully you believe an elder exists and is a blessing for your good, for the good of the church. Hopefully you believe that. But do you also see that the wrong man or the wrong person would, would have the ability to cause horrific damage to the church? Do you see that? And that's why we must not be hasty. We must not be quick in laying on hands. Healthy churches make every effort in being patient before selecting and laying hands on an elder. Now, now, here's the thing. Anyone who's ever went through this process at Harvest Community Church understands we take this call very seriously, right? At times you may think that Jesus will return before you become an elder, before we finish the process. It seems to take a really long time. And yes, I'm joking here, but in all seriousness, this process has served our church very well. It has served our church very well. And, and by the way, I don't think it's really strange when I think biblically, but when we think about it in our culture, it is strange how long we may wait for someone to be an elder or to go through the process, but that's because we live in a microwavable culture. We really do. Think about it. You know that I'm right. We are a got-to-have-it-now society. We are impatient when it comes to almost everything. Long lines, right? We hate them. We look across and we see 400 empty registers and three people working. And we're like, what the heck? Right? We had, I had to wait four extra minutes. It's terrible. Right? We want it now. New house and no lawn. Well, why wait for a lawn? Just get some sod and roll it out like carpet. Right? And there's nothing wrong with that. But what I'm trying to say is that we as consumers have been, we've become conditioned Condition to have instant gratification. And it's all available at the touch of a screen. But here's the thing. This is certainly problematic within our society, but this would wreak havoc within the church if we applied that same principle. You cannot microwave an elder, right? Like presto, boom, there he is. Disciples are made, right? But elders are appointed. They're called. Trying to make someone an elder is a dangerous game, right? Look at Acts 14, 21 through 23 with me. I think you'll see this. It says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, 
with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Notice that the disciples are made, right? But the elders are appointed. They're appointed through prayer, through fasting, through seeking the Lord on whom we should lay hands on, looking at the qualifications and saying, is this man that? And and then giving them time to work that out, observing. Paul's reminding Timothy and us that slow is steady is the way to win the race, right? If we want to avoid disciplining future elders. So prevention through time and testing is still the best option. It really is. For the love of Jesus and the blood-bought church, we must pay careful attention to ourselves and to those whom we are seeking to lay hands on for the work of this ministry. And if we do not do our due diligence, then it's not only deplorable, but we will share in the responsibility of those sins as we're participating because we didn't do our due diligence. We appointed them way too quickly. And let's, let's be real. The temptation... The temptation to rush the process is real. It really is. Why? Well, because the church is growing. Things are happening. There's a whole bunch of sheep, and they need shepherds. And so many times, we, we, we just are so tempted to make it happen quickly. But we must not rush the process. And, and, and at the same, the opposite of that, we mustn't drag our feet. Right? If we can see, then we must act. This is a weighty call that that requires so much wisdom and discernment that every elder feels. And Paul knows this. And which is why maybe he drops verse 23 and I don't know. He look at verse 23 with me. No longer drink only water, right? But use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments, Timothy. Like, this just seems like, where did that come from, right? I'm, I'm looking at the text. That doesn't, this is heavy stuff. God, Jesus, the elect angels, drink some wine, not just some water. I don't, okay, come on, I'm just kidding, right? It's a joke. <laughs> it's obvious that Paul is not encouraging Timothy to engage in much drinking, right? That's obvious because one of the qualifications of an elder is to not be a drunkard. But why this text here and why this text now? That's a good question. I, I think, I think, because Paul's telling Timothy to be on guard not to participate in the sins of others. And then he exhorts him at the end of verse 22. He says, keep yourself pure, right? And then right out of that, he says this. So it seems to me, though, as, as Paul wants to be clear that he's not promoting asceticism, right? Which was discussed in chapter 3, uh, actually, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. He, he, was con- he condemned the false teachers for such a thing. Do you remember? I'll read chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, verses 3 and 4. He said, those false teachers who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. I think that's probably why he drops here. I'm willing to have someone say, I think you're wrong. But no matter what, this is a good reminder. This is a good reminder for all of us that abstaining from food, abstaining from marriage, abstaining from PG-13 films, abstaining from music that's not sung by Hillsong does not make you more righteous or holy than the person sitting next to you. It doesn't, right? In, In a sense, it's like Paul is saying, remember, Timothy, remember, we're under grace, 
We're not under law. We do not live by a set of rules or sheer determination in order to be holy. No, quite the contrary. It is the blood of Christ that makes you holy. It is the blood of Christ that gives you righteousness. Remember in Galatians 5.1, it says, for freedom. Oh, we just sung about this, right? For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Christian, stand firm there. Don't move. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. You've been set free from trying to earn the love of God. You've been given the love of God in Christ. Stand firm in that, right? Those who are in Christ have been made holy through the blood of Christ. Therefore, we're free. The question becomes, is free from what and free to what, right? That's a good question because we're freed from trying to get right with God by our behavior, we're trying to perform to be righteous, to be acceptable, or to be loved by God based on what we do. We're set free from that. Well, isn't that good news? Yes, it is. Even if you don't believe that, that's good news because this is the message of the gospel, the gospel of good news, which is saying that we're saved by grace alone. It's a big gift. And it's by faith alone. It's trusting in what Christ has done through his life, his death, and his resurrection, right? It's trusting in Jesus alone because Jesus sets captives free, free from trying to earn the love of God and enables us by the power of the Spirit to love him and to love others. That's what we're set free to do. Oh, what a good God we have. In short, we've been set free to love. To love not ourselves and not our selfish things. So whatever you do, right? Whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, do all things to the glory of God. Do all things in a way that makes him look glorious. That's what we do, Christian, right? And so the question to ask before we do anything is, does this make Jesus look magnificent? And if it does, well, then do it. Then do it. But sinning will never make him look magnificent. It shames the name of Christ. That's all I'm going to say about that topic. Let's jump into verse 24 and 25. Follow along. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. See, Paul's warning against appointing elders too quickly because their sins, right, might cause Timothy to shrink back from ever appointing an elder, right? Like, this is so weighty, how about I just do this thing, right? But that, that would be a mistake because he cannot do it on his own, and it's a, it takes a plurality. That's why it says elders. There's not just one man. It takes many men. It takes many men laboring. It takes many shepherds laboring. But this is why Paul reminds Timothy that you'll know them by their fruit. Because he's like, how do I know? How am I going to know? He's going to be, okay, remember what I told you. This is, the, this is what it looks like to be an elder. But you're going to take time. You're going to pray. Because, but here's the thing. The sins of some are conspicuous or obvious going before them in judgment. See, some people, you don't have to give much thought as to whether that man is an elder, right? Like if Harvey Weinstein, like if he gets saved, right? I think we're all going to be very excited, or at least I hope, and praise Jesus for saving a sinner like this man. But we're not going to run out and lay hands on him and say, well, now you're an elder because you had some amazing business career, and and we really think you could help us with our organization. We're not going to do that. 
right? It's obvious this man is not an elder, but praise God if he were saved. Some people's sins are so obvious and easy to spot, but not all are that way. Some are not easy to spot, which is why he says, but the sins of others, they appear later, right? Patience. There are those who on the outside, man, they look like they got their lives all together, but they may have subtle and unseen sins that are deep-seated that, that will appear later through a process we hope and we pray. We need to be diligent here, right? Because we must stand before God and with a clear conscience say that we've done everything we could, Lord. We've done everything we could to see as to whether this man is qualified to care for your church. But on the flip side of that coin, right? So also, good works are conspicuous or they're obvious, right? Some, some men are easily identified. You're just like, they're shepherding people. Look at, look at their love for their wife. Look at their love for their children. They love their community. They take upon responsibility, it's obvious. It's just obvious. So we, we go and we, we put them through the process. It's obvious. However, a word of caution here. Word of caution because here we must be on guard not to be fooled by those who are highly gifted in preaching or in teaching or who maybe have had some amazing, successful business, right? And wrongly think that that would transcend into being an elder. It may or it may not. Remember that there are those who teach the word and preach the word with accuracy or those who have led major corporations or lead major corporations, but they don't meet the qualifications of a 1 Timothy chapter 3 man. And therefore, we cannot lay hands on them for the sake of the love of Christ and his bride. They may look the part, but they may have an evil, unbelieving heart. Think about Judas. He's in camp. Right? Up until the night prior to Jesus going to the cross, everyone's like, Jesus is like, when are you going to betray me? And everyone's like, whoa, hey, who? Is that me? Is that you? Who? Jesus, who is that? They didn't know. Why was he in it? Well, he loved money. He loved power. He loved all sorts of things. But he didn't love Christ. And so we need to pray and to fast and to seek the Lord. And there's men like that. And so God, help us always to appoint men that honor you, that love you, that are dependent upon you to care for your church. There are those who seemingly fly under the radar. Their good works are hidden, right? They're, they're, they're gone about living a humble life and, and their quiet life. And, and we're praying that there are men like that here that God would raise up and show us that these men are humbly serving. So we'll see. Well, they can't remain unknown forever. And, and, and so we look and we pray and be praying that, the, that God would raise up many men within Harvest Community Church to shepherd the flock of God. Pray for that because that's a blessing. Now listen, God sees all. <laughs> when I say that, does that make you comforted or does it make you uncomfortable, Right? Well, here's the beauty of the gospel. Um, there's so much beauty. I mean, how could I even begin to talk about the beauty of the gospel? I'm going to try. Because here's the deal. God sees everything. Elders, we have limited view. But God sees everything perfectly, always. And he's a good shepherd, right? So instead of running from those who are broken and riddled with sin, he comes near. 
Those who have outright rebelled against the good shepherd, the good shepherd comes and he lays down his life. Oh, what a good God we have, right? I mean, it's amazing to think about how he demonstrates his supreme love by sending his son to die in our place upon a cross to save sinners like us. Oh, every one of us need grace. There are no people within this whole world that don't need grace and mercy. And Jesus come to pour out grace and mercy upon a people who so desperately need it. And those who trust in Christ and the sacrifice that he offered in our place, we get to boldly come before the throne of God and be fully known and to be fully loved in spite of us. Right? If you're thinking, I've got to get myself cleaned up, you never get yourself cleaned up. Jesus came to die for sinners. For sinners. And this is where we put our hope, and we should never forget that. Ultimately, our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is not in those who serve as pastors or elders. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, who is the good shepherd. He is the overseer of our souls. That's our hope. That's our hope. And what a good shepherd we have. And so in closing, listen, I want to exhort the elders. And I hope it encourages the church as well. Because I want to read from Acts 20, 28 through 35. Just listen to the word. Pay careful attention as I read. And hear, hear what Paul says to the elders as, as he's leaving. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, elders, care, right, shepherds, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you and not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the living word, or I'm sorry, sorry to, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities, and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's for the elders, but church, I want you to be encouraged too, because I want you to think about this. Those who have Christ have received everything. You know, the beauty of the gospel is we get God, right? The beauty of the good news is, is, is not that we, that we, yes, we get to go to heaven, but if God's not in heaven, it doesn't matter that you go there. The good news of the gospel is we get God. And, and if we have him, and those who are trusting and believing in Jesus Christ, you have him. You have access to the throne of grace. Well, you have received everything in him. So what would it be to give your life to building his church? It would be joy. That's what it would be. 
Oh God, I pray that you would grow this church in health and size so that more people would worship your name. And church, we have that awesome privilege. We have that awesome privilege to go to declare the good news to people who are far from him and trust that Jesus is mighty to save through the preached gospel. And so we have received so much. Let us be gracious. Let us be generous with our lives. Let's give our lives to building his church. Brothers and sisters, give your lives to that. Give your lives to that mission. Listen, and remember, never forget Jesus' words. He says, I will build my church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That encourages me so greatly. Like as I think about these texts and the weight of an elder, I have to take my eyes off myself and place them on the one who is faithful to do this work. He is committed to do this work. He will do this work. It's a guarantee. It's a guarantee. It's a slam dunk. And yet we labor, we work, we toil, we scrape, we claw, knowing all the while our good shepherd's with us. Our good shepherd's with us. So we need not be afraid as we march forward. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.